141. Whether it's raining or not, it's raining tears in Psalm 141. Right? Because we. My mouth keep the door of my lips incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity and let me not eat of their dainties let the righteous smite me it shall be a kindness and let him reprove me it shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities when their judges are overthrown in stony places they shall hear my words for they are sweet our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets whilst that I withal escape. The psalmist needed God's help, and I am so thankful that uh, the same God who helped him is the same God who's available today and is our friend and who's made us part of his family as we've been encouraged with that truth in the book of Colossians as we've been studying through that. So tonight, let's look at Psalm 141 and let's pick up on Roman numeral 4. I think that's where we left off, correct? So I want you to see, and we're going to look at the circumstances quickly. We'll see the circumstances in Roman numeral 4. And the circumstances are described both in verse 7, and then uh, we're going to skip verse 8 and go to verse 9, and we'll come back to verse 8 in the next point. But uh, the psalmist is sharing his circumstances. Well, maybe we should go back, and let's quickly do this. We saw the cry in verses 1 and 2. And uh, he was crying with his whole heart, and he was asking God to hear. And he prayed for God to do something else, too, remember? Hurry! Lord, I need you. I need you to work now. By the way, isn't that how we pray so often in our difficulties? So his, his prayer was for God to work. His concern uh, that he had in his difficulty. Uh, by the way, these are things that we don't often talk about but they're concerns we should have as well. In verse 3, he was praying that he wouldn't declare things he shouldn't declare. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. And we shared this truth. I've heard verse 3 preached so many times about just asking God to control your mouth. But the context is trials. And in trials, we are often tempted, and many times we use our tongue in a way that we shouldn't use it. We say things we shouldn't say. And uh, sometimes in the frustration of the moment, the pressure that we're under, we can, we, can, um, we can say rash things. We can say wrong things. We can blame God. There are a number of different ways in which we might respond in an improper way. We might lash out at people who are trying maybe to help us, but, you know, just leave me alone. I'm fine. Right? Set a watch, O Lord, before my lips uh, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips. God, keep me from saying things I ought not say when I'm under pressure. 
Um, what, a, what a lesson. And so the concern, I might declare things I ought not declare. Uh, I might desire things I ought not desire. Verse 4, incline not my heart to any evil thing. You know, sometimes in difficulty, people throw aside that which is right and start following their own way. How many people do you know who've gone through hard times and they got out of church rather than got more faithful to church? Isn't that true? You see, our, our heart, there's, there's one of two ways. We either get, well, as some say, bitter or better in difficulty. And bitter people, people who respond and say, why did God do this to me? This isn't right. Those kind of people often stray from God and their heart becomes inclined to the things that are wrong. Sometimes they stop going to church. They stop reading their Bible. They stop serving God because of their difficulty. Others are drawn to God through the difficulty. And he was just praying that God wouldn't incline his heart to, the wrong, to do the wrong things or go with the wrong people and do uh, the wrong kind of things. So he might desire things. And then he thought and he was concerned that he might do things he shouldn't do. And verse 4 talks about that, um, that practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. And um, wrong hearts, desires lead to evil actions. And that is a temptation. And then we saw the challenges, verses 5 and 6 and 9 and 10. The challenge of critical people. You never had anyone criticize you when you're in difficulty, have you? Job, you're not right with God. Um, uh, people say things. Oh, have you had people say just, I don't know, how to, dumb things when you were in trouble? I mean, things that maybe they meant to be a help, and it was kind of like, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and then maybe you've had people do what they did to Job, critical. And that's what David talks about. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, again, those that are crit critical of him, they're going to hear my words. And, and what kind of words are David going to get? Give him. Ha, <laughs> you deserve it because of what you did to me. Is that how he's going to act? No. What is What are his words going to be like? Yeah. So when they're facing difficulty, he's going to be a help to them. All right. So we've seen the challenges of critical men and then conniving men, verses 9 and 10. Now the circumstances in verses 7 and 9. First thing we find is uh, his dis description of the situation that was going on. Now I'm thankful that our pa in our passage, the writer doesn't describe the exact, um, the exact plans of the enemy, nor of exactly what's happening and going on in his life. Look at verse 7 again. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. He doesn't even talk about what is going on. He doesn't say this is what the enemy is doing. He doesn't talk about a particular situation. And I'm thankful for that. Because if he did, we would have a tendency to say, ah, that doesn't apply to me. But what's great about this psalm is that anyone in difficulty, no matter what it may be, whether it's people or whether it's circumstances that have come our way, anyone in trouble can look to Psalm 141 and find help. Anyone who's in great difficulty can come to this passage, and because God didn't say this was his problem, we can't excuse this chapter and say it doesn't apply to me or it can't help. You see, the truth of the matter is he never told us what it was going on exactly in his life, and we don't know. 
Ah, we can surmise things. We can look at it and we can, we can parse different statements and maybe come up with an idea of where we think, but we don't know. And thus, we'd have to say this. Psalm 141 applies to our situation as well, whatever it may be. Remember that. So there are things to be, to be a help. So how deep a problem can God help you with? Well, he shares in verse 7 how great danger he was in. Uh, this is not a pretty picture, okay? Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth. <laughs> uh, you say, what is he talking about? Well, um, let's just put it this way. Uh, severe problems. Would you not use that to describe it? Let me, let me share with you what I, I read. Um, Albert Barnes, who I enjoy reading. I think he has some good comments many, to, many times to make on, on passages. Um, he explained verse 7 this way. He said, We are indeed now like bones scattered in the places of graves. We seem to be weak, feeble, disorganized. We are in a condition which of itself seems to be hopeless, as hopeless as it would be for dry bones scattered when they, they were buried to rise up and attack an enemy. The reference seems to be to the condition of David and his followers as pursued by a mighty foe. So his hope was not in his own force, his own ability, because he didn't have any. He was like dry bones. But his hope was in the power and interposition of God. So, um, so have your problems been like that lately? Our bones are scattered as at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. Uh, hey, we, we can relate to this one probably a little bit better. Um, you ever been to a wood chopping contest? Ever seen it? I, we, we, I don't even remember where it was. We were at a, a fair or someplace where they had some a wood chopping competition. And so these guys, they just have a log, and it's already it's already started, and then they take they have their, their axes, and man, they go to it. And when these guys do it, I mean, if I did it, I'd probably swing twice, and I'd be like, <sighs> you know, and I'd swing again, and it'd probably be these little people. But when these guys were doing it, it's like chips are going all over the place. It's They're going crazy until they cut all the way through uh, the log. Um, and that's how he used, or that's a description he gave. I don't think it was a wood chopping competition necessarily, but that is the picture he gives us. He, he says, I'm as one that cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. I mean, just uh, <laughs> body parts everywhere. No, that, that wasn't what he's describing. But he's saying, look, it's uh, the situation is um, I'm being attacked. The chips are going everywhere. Um I don't know whether I'm coming or going. Have you ever felt that way? I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. All I can all I can see is these pieces of wood going all over. And man, I know I'm in trouble. And that is the description he gives us to remind us that look, our, our problems can be great. Our difficulties can be great. The danger we face can be great. But look, there is nothing bigger than our God. Nothing. So, uh, okay, the, the chips are flying, and we don't even know what's going on necessarily. We can't even keep track of things. Uh, and I've, I've been there at times. But, um, but there's a God in heaven who's in control, and we can cry unto. 
Uh, so great danger. And then serious deception, verses nine, uh, verse 9 gives us that picture. Not only grave danger, but uh, deception. And by the way, deception that he couldn't keep him, protect himself from. What does he ask in verse 9? Keep me from the snares. Okay, Lord, I don't have any control over this situation. You don't have any problems like that, do you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, whether it's as, as simple as, and it's not a simple situation, as you're driving down the road and you lose control of your vehicle in the winter, or even in, on, on the, you know, when there's been a heavy rain and you hit a, 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 a spot of, of water, you start, your wheels start to spin and you're out of control. Okay, I know, you've never had problems like that, I'm sure. But if you ever do, there's, there's uh, situations that are out of our control. And, and that was his, his description. He's, he says, look, there's deception going on, and I need you to keep me from these snares. I don't have control over what these men are doing. I don't have control over where they're putting the traps. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're scheming. But God, I know you know. And I know that you can deal with this situation. So when I'm in circumstances where I don't know what I'm going to do or how I can deal with it or what I can do to take care of this difficulty that I'm in, I have a God that, that by the way, is watching and knows all about the deception. He knows all about the things that are coming next. He knows, he knows the next roadblock you're going to face. He knows the next step. He knows where the traps are. He knows where he knows where the slippery rocks are on the water you're trying to cross. And um, and so why not ask him for his help? So he had great danger, serious deception, which he had no control over. He couldn't prepare for. He couldn't protect himself. You know, it's it's one thing when you can see the blows coming. It's another thing when when you, you, you don't know what's coming next. You, uh, we use the term, you get blindsided. You ever been blindsided? Um, you, you don't know what's coming. And so you need God. Let, let me tell you, Psalm 141 is just a, a, a reminder. I need God. And that's why verse 8, to me, is the sum of and the wonderful encouragement of Psalm 141. And let's put it this way, and it may not sound like an encouragement, but it is the commitment. I want you to see the commitment. Because in verse 8, the psalmist looks to God and says, okay, you are the one I'm trusting in. And that is the place to look. But mine eyes. All right, so my bones are scattered all over the grave. I'm like dry bones. I don't have any strength. I don't have any ability. The, the wood chips are flying, Lord, and man, it's out of control. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. God, there are snares that are coming. I, I, I need you. So mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. If th There isn't a better verse in the psalm. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. Say, say that with me. All right? Say it together. Join with me. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. Remember that. Uh, first statement to look. 
The first phrase indicates hope, expectation. He had confidence God is able. Oh, here's the thing. He had confidence not just that God is able, and that's evident, but mine eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord. I know who you are. I know what you can do. So he believed God was able. But not only that, he believed because this, the, the way he words it here, he believed that God cared. All right, mine eyes are unto thee. You are God the Lord, and I know you care about me. Um, he was doing what Peter encouraged us to do, casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. So he believed God was able. He believed God cared. He believed God would do something about this struggle. So uh, there's hope. There's expectation. I'm looking. It also, this phrase, mine eyes are unto thee, indicates dependence. He wasn't looking to God and trying his own schemes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to handle it. But he was, he was resting on God and God alone to provide because he understood he was dry bones. The look indicates he knew a, a good God would do what he had promised. And we've already said this, but what was David promised if this was indeed when Saul was chasing him? What was David promised? That he'd be king. Okay? Promised him the kingdom. So then David can't die if he's going to get the kingdom. So it's a it's a statement of, okay, God, I know you have a plan for my life. Mine eyes are unto you. And you're going to have to take care of it. Um, no crisis could take his life. He had hope based on the promises of God. And by the way, when the axe of suffering is cutting on the wood of our lives, it's good when we can look to God with hope and expectation. Um, Martin Luther told a story about his puppy. Um, his puppy was at the table one day looking for food from his master. And if you ever had a puppy that was waiting for food from the master... Um, I saw one on those funniest home videos where they put the food on the dog's nose and the dog had to wait, like, and it's just saliva's pouring. Okay, well, anyway, yeah, you, you can get that picture. But anyway, with, with uh, Martin Luther, the dog was watching with open mouth, motionless eyes, focused on the one because he was expecting someone, uh, something. And after pondering the scene, Luther made this statement, if I could only pray the way this dog watches the meat. He said, all his thoughts are concentrated on the piece of meat. He has no other thought, no other wish, no other hope, just the meat. And, um, I, you know, that's a, that's a picture of David in our passage. Okay? Uh, God, God's holding the meat. That's where my attention is. You can't distract me. He's the one right there. Trust in him. Um, and that's, let me tell you, that's the way we need to come to God. Sometimes we get so self-confident that um, I don't doubt maybe sometimes God, God allows the, woods, the wood to be chopped just so that we'll look with longing to him. And say, God, I, I need you. I need you to look 
and then to lean. But mine eyes are unto thee. That first statement is powerful. O God the Lord. And then what does he say? Say it with me. The next five words. In thee is my trust. All right, say it again. In thee is my trust. Now I want you to say it like you mean it. In thee is my trust. Not only was he going to look, but he was going to lean. When a storm hits, have you ever been outside? You saw it coming? Sheets of rain. You just see them coming. And they're moving moving towards you. And, uh, hey, if you're in a situation like that, what are you looking for? Shelter. As soon as I can get it. Fast as I can get it. Wherever I can get it. I'm going to get under something. I'm going to get, you know, someplace to keep me dry, to keep me safe. You look for a place of refuge. Um, when he said in verse 8, in thee is my trust, it means to flee for protection. So here are different pictures. First is a focused look. I am looking nowhere else, God. It's you. And then then the second picture is that, um, you know, where am I going to go? Well, in my difficulty. By the way, where am I going to go in my trouble? A lot of times people go to their own understanding. A lot of times people go to other people. Sometimes people go uh, all different ways, their own reasoning, their own ideas, their own thoughts, when in reality they need to run to God. Say, this is where I'm going to rest. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't use our head. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, make plans. But in any plan and in any action I take, it needs to be with the understanding, God, I'm looking to you. I'm trusting you. I'm leaning you. And I'm here under your refuge. And I don't want to step anywhere that you don't want me to step. I need you to protect me. And, And that is the man that that God can work in and through. So our commitment should be to look, to lean. Um, and then uh, I put it this way, to love. Now this last point wasn't actually a commitment of David, but I'm going to give you a little different look. He says, leave not my soul destitute. You know, you know what he's actually saying? He's, he's saying in the first part, I love you. God, I need your love. Don't leave me. Um, I'm depending on you, and I'm asking God you to love me. So maybe a little bit different uh, way to put it, but he expected God's loving provision to be given, and he asked for it. He said, God, leave not my soul destitute. I need God. Um, And I do, no matter how difficult my circumstances. Um, I think we're going to move on, so let me just share with you the call, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it because we've already made reference a little bit to these verses. But um, the call in verses 9 and 10 is this. Protect and punish. Verse 9, protect. Verse 10, punish. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, whilst that I withal escape. There was an earthquake in Japan in 2011. Time magazine uh, ran an article entitled, Miracles in Japan. When the uh, 
tsunami, I think that's how you pronounce it, hit after the quake, a four-month-old baby was literally swept from her parents' arms when the wave hit their house. Um, afterwards, her parents took refuge in their wrecked house, and they believed their little girl was dead. Obviously, you would uh, if you were in a situation like that. But three days later, Japanese soldiers were going through rubble, pulling bodies from homes that had been flattened when they heard a cry. They made their way to a pile of debris. They carefully removed fragments of wood, shattered glass, rock, and everything else. And then they saw her, a four-month-old baby girl in a pink woolen bear suit. Uh, they somehow found out who she was, and she was miraculously reunited with her parents. Um, the article referred to her as uh, Japan's tiniest miracle. And they concluded the article by saying this, how the child survived drowning or being crushed by fallen trees and houses remains a mystery. But somehow it happened. Um, you know, you always love to hear about stories like that. David's life was a story like that. And do you know who he attributed the fact that he survived the flood and the storms to? God. And it was because he looked to God. I, I don't know what kind of miracles you need. I don't. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I do know this. I know that the God I serve is bigger and able to handle your difficulties. So look and lean and love him. And, um, and I think you can, you'll be able to count on him to be faithful. I don't think that. I know that. And Psalm 141 tells me so. Father, I thank you that you're such a great God. And I'm thankful that, that uh, even in a situation where we need miracles, we have a God who's greater than any problem we could ever face. May we trust you, lean on you, look to you in every difficulty and find, as David did, that we serve a great, faithful, loving Father in heaven. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.